And with that being said, this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, if you look in the history of the church, the history of uh, the church as a whole, the global body, the church as Christians for the last couple thousands of years, one of the things that is always significantly marked in the history of the church is times of revival. We can go back and look even within just the last couple hundreds of years and see how there was a Welsh revival which gave way to an Azusa Street revival and other revivals happening in this place and that place. And even now today, there are revivals happening across the world. People in China coming to the Lord like never before. People in the Middle East coming to the Lord like never before. And all these great moves of God are always marked by people coming to the Lord in large groves and numbers of people. And the thing is, is when we look back across the history of the church and the last few hundreds of years, revival was always marked by great repentance. It was always marked by people giving their lives to the Lord. If you look even within the last 50 years, these great crusades of Billy Graham and other evangelists across the world would gather coliseums of people together, and it would be moments of people coming to the Lord and surrendering their lives. And revival is always marked by Repentance. And this morning I want to talk to you about uh, in need of revival, in need of revival. We need revival. More than just our world, we need revival. The thing is, is when you look through Scripture, when you read Scripture and you go through and you try to understand the call for revival, it's easy for us to look at our world and see the devastating things that are happening around us and think our world needs revival. That is certainly true. But every time God called for people to be revived, it always started with God's people, with his church first. It starts with you and I. And revival starts with us this morning. It starts in our hearts as God's church. It's not just this thing that we have always been, uh, maybe have this mindset of, of a feel-good experience and we walk away and we all talk about what great preaching and great singing it was. Revival is marked by people surrendering their lives to the Lord. And so with that in mind, uh, can I ask you a question? Wouldn't it be nice if you and I were born with this little remote that came attached with every baby that was like a rewind button, that we could go back and fix our mistakes. We could rewind time and say, you know what, let me, do, let me get a redo on that. We could go back and change things or say something differently or maybe we would like a, a DeLorean equipped with a time machine and a mad scientist that would help us travel time to make some changes to things that's happened in the past. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We would all love that. We would all love to go back and fix our mistakes and fix our past. And really what happens is the, the wording should have, could have, would have becomes our song. I should have done it this way. I would have done it that way. I could have done it that way. But the fact is, is we can't. We can't change the past. What's happened in the past is the past. However, what we can do is we can make adjustments today that will now affect our future. The Bible teaches us that today is the day of salvation. And even though our past might not look the way we had hoped, we can make decisions today that affect our future that don't reflect our past. 
And so as we're talking this morning, revival starts with repentance. And we're going to be reading through and understanding what is repentance? How does repentance work? Because if revival starts with repentance, then you and I have to have an understanding of how does repentance happen throughout Scripture. And one of the ways we're going to do that is we're going to go and look at the lives of a couple people who the Bible shows that they were in grave sin. They made some grave mistakes, but God did some miracle work in their life. And the first one we're going to read is in Matthew chapter 27. And one of the things that happens a lot of times is when we read scripture is we read it as if it's a story that sometimes is distant from us. And it's almost as if when we see somebody in the Bible who has a history of sin in their life, that we look at it as if that's their problem. But the truth is, is that you and I could almost be inserted into every story of sin in the Bible because without the grace of God, you and I are just sinners, just like every person we read throughout Scripture. And this morning, we're going to read about a special person who encountered God's forgiveness in a great way. And then we're going to read another. Matthew chapter 27, verse 15. The Bible says, now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd. Anyone whom they wanted. And at the time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So after they gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they handed him over. We're going to skip to verse 21. And the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what should I do with justice, who is called the Messiah? All of them said, let him be crucified. And then he asked, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. As we're talking about repentance today, this is an important story for us to understand how repentance works. Because what you're going to see is the people wanted it was either Jesus or Barabbas, but they demanded Barabbas. And so really what we see is almost this literal picture of how Jesus inserted himself as a sacrifice for you and I. And though we don't know what happens of Barabbas's future, it is a lesson to us about how God's propitiation, a big word we use to simply mean standing in the place of the punishment that we deserve, is, works in our lives. And one of the things you're going to note here is how just zealous these people were. Give us Barabbas. Crucify him. And can you imagine for a moment you're gathered in this place and you're watching this happen from a distance? The truth is, is that sometimes the Bible may even, even allude to us being in this place. The thing that you're going to talk, we're going to discover today is as we're talking about repentance, is that repentance has to have an understanding of God's justice. And what I mean by that is if, if God is just in all of his ways, if God is a just God, if God is a fair God, then that must mean that there is a punishment for sin. For if God let sin go unaccountable, then would he be a just God? No, he wouldn't. And so if God is just, then this shows us an, an interesting lesson here, because here is this people who are demanding Jesus be crucified. He has no sin. He has nothing done anything wrong. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Pilate asked them once again, what should I do with Jesus? They didn't even answer. They just started shouting even more, crucify him, crucify him. And here was an injustice done. 
where God brings, where, where this injustice is here, let him be crucified. But yet it's not, it's God's justice after all. We're going to come back to the story of Barabbas in just a few moments, but keep that picture in mind. Jesus taking the place of Barabbas, what should have been the punishment of Barabbas, Jesus stepped in his place. And so then we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible says, so here's Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, the serpent's been talking his nonsense, and somehow he's finally convinced them. So when this woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and that they sewed, then they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and the man and his wife, watch what they did. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. As we're talking about repentance, we're going to look through this example here of Genesis about how repentance works, because really this is the first picture of sin and how sin comes into our lives. And part of the process of repentance is revealed in this fall of sin that happened here. One of the things, a little side note that I noticed that was amazing to me as you read about this story is here is this beautiful, perfect place that God has created. And the Bible says that God came down and would walk in the garden amidst them. Another example that we don't see until Jesus, born in a manger, come down from heaven. It was a place where God was meant to have communication with man. And even though their sin came upon the earth, and even though they committed a great uh, offense towards God, they never lost their ability to communicate with God. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 4 tells us that men began to call on the name of the Lord. They never lost their ability to communicate with God. And so this morning, I want to walk you through the process of repentance. And these are important things for us to realize so that we understand our na nature as humans and how repentance starts. If revival starts with repentance, then we ought to be a people who are repentant. But how does that work? The first thing is this, is you'll see that Adam and Eve did this thing. The Bible says that after they had disobeyed God, after they had rebelled against God and basically they wanted to become their own gods is what the, the language of the Hebrew language suggests. They wanted to become their own rulers of their lives. And so what they did, the Bible says, is that they hid themselves when God began to walk in the garden. And it's amazing to me that their, their first instinct was, I need to hide as if they could really hide from God. And as a matter of fact, it's even more ironic that God asked them later on, where are you? As if God didn't know where they were. But the thing that we see that happens to them is they experience shame. And shame is a part of a repentance process because shame is our natural response to sin because it is our remorse for defying who we were created to be. 
That's what happened to Adam and Eve. They had a choice in the garden. They had a choice to take from this tree or that tree. And they chose from the tree that God instructed to them to not take a part of. And this is an important part of repentance is that you and I always have a choice. God has never left us without a choice. God always gives us a choice to make. And until the day Jesus comes back, you and I always have a choice. And the choice is, how are we going to repent? What are we going to do with our lives? And so here they are, and they experience shame. And notice that they experience shame so much so that they try to go and make their own clothing out of fig leaves to cover themselves because they realize the way they are. They realize the way that they're exposed to one another. And then they go in such a way that they try to hide behind the trees. Shame is something that we ought to experience as a result of sin. And the truth is, is that when you and I lose our response of shame, it's often a reflection that we have lost a fear for God. We don't have that natural response that feels like I'm, I'm accountable now. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed of what has happened, what I've done. It's a way of looking back and saying, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that and hurt, offended God in such a way. Shame can also be something that maybe happens to you, what someone did to you, the way they hurt you or the way that they, whatever it might have been, embarrassed you or some way. Shame is our response of being able to realize, oh no, I messed up. I messed up. Have you ever felt that way before? Embarrassed. I made a mistake. I sinned. I did this. And it becomes almost this immediate response. And I like to use the word remorse. Because remorse is the way that we ought to feel and this deep sense of grief over what had happened. And the Bible goes on to show that after they experienced shame, the next thing that happened is that they began to experience guilt. They began to realize we have messed up, we have made a mistake, and they realized that we are guilty. We did that. And there we can go read that conversation later on in Genesis chapter 3. They try to blame one another. She did this, they did this, and ultimately they had to come to the conclusion, no, we did it. We made a mistake. And guilt is this, is when you and I accept that we have done what is wrong and realize our condition before God is guilty. You and I, without, apart from the cross of Jesus Christ and God's life given for us, apart from this, the verdict over all of our lives is guilty. And here is God walking in the garden and their response is, I want to hide. And this shows us something is that righteousness demands a verdict of unrighteousness. And that was the response of Adam and Eve. They felt unrighteous, so they felt the punishment of their sin. They felt the guilt of their sin, so they tried to hide themselves as though to escape the wrath of God. But where there is righteousness, righteousness demands a verdict because God is just in all of his ways. And if God is just, then there must be a consequence to sin. And so here it was. They had to, do, they had to be held accountable for their sin. And they were guilty. They were guilty. You and I, without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, are guilty. And it's important that as we talk about this today, whether we've been Christians for two days or 20 years, that we never forget, apart from the forgiveness of Christ, we are guilty. 
And repentance always starts, revival always starts with repentance. This realization, a shameful fact of embarrassment of about sin, a guilt of it, and coming to this before God with our shame and our guilt. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, that Jesus bore our shame. The Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus endured the cross despising the shame. Isaiah 53 suggests the same thing, that Jesus bore our shame so that you and I wouldn't have to. He took upon the shame of sin so that you and I wouldn't have to carry that weight upon our lives. Likewise, Jesus took upon our guilt as there he was hanging upon a cross. So revival starts with repentance. It starts with the realization of our shame, of our guilt. And then it brings us to the third part, forgiveness, the best part. Psalm 51 says it this way. Here's David. David writes this psalm after he's messed up. He's sinned. He's sinned against the Lord. He's done what he knows he shouldn't have done. The prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him all the things that he's done wrong. And here's his response. He says this long prayer in Psalm 51 in verse 17. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. We know that the Bible teaches us that sacrifice was part of man's way of appeasing the wrath of God or satisfying the punishment of sin. So we see, you can read Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel begin to offer sacrifices to the Lord. The Bible goes on to show us that Noah, after he got off the ark, began to sacrifice, the Bible says, one of every animal. As he got off the ark and the Bible says that sacrifice came before the Lord as a pleasing aroma. And because of that, the Lord made a covenant with humanity that he would never do the flood again. And he put a rainbow in the sign in the sky as a sign of his covenant. And this continues to be the practice of the Old Testament, that where there is sin, the sacrifice would cover that sin. A high priest would go in. And then we see this picture here in Psalm 51, that what God is really looking for, a sacrifice acceptable to God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Now, if you look in that in the original language, it's interesting because that word contrite means to literally means to burst. In other words, what David is saying, the, the type of sacrifice that God is looking for is when our heart is in a million pieces, broken and just bursting everywhere. And we bring it before the Lord in all of our brokenness, in all of our mess. And we realize that only God can put it back together again. The only God can heal. Only God can make it well once again. In John chapter five, Jesus walks up to the man who's a paralytic. He's been sitting at this pool where there's, Jesus knows there's people who are paralyzed and he's, they're lame. But Jesus asked this man a basic question that is a question for all of us today. He says to this man who he knows is sick, he can see he can't walk. He says, do you want to be well? Of course he wants to be well. He's sick. 
And then the question comes to us once again, do we want to be well? And what Jesus was asking of that man wasn't necessarily, do you want to be well, but are you willing to give yourself to me to be made well? And that's the same thing David's implying here in Psalm 51, that the sacrifice God is looking for is a broken spirit. When you and I come before the Lord in all of our mess and realize that only God can forgive us, only through the cross of Jesus, Christ can he wipe away all of our sins so repentance is a threefold process it starts with this I am ashamed there's remorse I feel bad about what I did I'm ashamed I am guilty it's the second part this is the realization that we are we're guilty that without Jesus, we're guilty. We have a punishment that is due to our lives, and it's only through the mercy of God that that's avoided otherwise. I am ashamed, remorse. I am guilty, a realization. And thirdly, I need forgiveness. And this is where repentance comes in, where we realize, God, I can't do this without you. I can't live the life I was created to be apart from you. Hebrews chapter nine says it this way, that under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood. In other words, what he was talking about is how the high priest would go through and would take the, the blood of an animal and would sprinkle it upon things as a way to purify it. And he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 9 that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And we don't like to talk about this a lot. We think because it's a gruesome picture, but we must never forget that without the sacrifice of Jesus, without the blood of Jesus shed upon the cross, the necessary sacrifice for you and I. Jesus was not just the high priest going in to make a sacrifice for you and I. He was the high priest who actually laid himself on the altar as a sacrifice. And we must never forget that it is only through the blood of Jesus that we are forgiven, that we are saved. And stories of revival only happen because of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's not because of good preaching. It's not because of good singing. People only come to the Lord because of the sacrifice Jesus gave and poured his life out for you and I. He did not hang himself on a cross as a waste so you and I could just admonish it from a distance. That blood was for a purpose and it was so that our sins could be washed white as snow. And our past that we talk about, we want to hit the remote button and go and fix. No, God says he can cast our sins as far as the east is from the west and wipes it clean once again. It only happens through the blood of Jesus Christ. The sum message really of any revival is this, is that Jesus sacrificed his life that we might live. And if you look through the history of the church, that's been the mark of every revival is people coming to the Lord, surrendering their lives. And that's exactly what the word revival means. If you think about paramedics rushing to the scene of someone who's laying lifeless on the floor, they begin to do CPR, breathing life into them, doing compressions. And what happens to that person when they take another breath, they come back to life. They have been revived. Revived meant that they have been brought back to life again. And it means the same way spiritually is that we are in need of revival. And revival is this, is when Jesus' life is imparted to you and I that we might live. 
This is why Jesus stood up and said, I am the resurrection and the life because without Jesus, there is no life. And Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have life more abundantly. And that only happens through the life Jesus imparts to you and I. This type of life is the type of life, if you go through and you read Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came, the Bible says thousands of people came to the Lord that day. Why? Because God's life entered into the church, brought the people back to life. They were dead to the consequences of sin, but life came into them, and they became who they were called to be. Revival is that Jesus sacrificed his life that we might live, and may we never forget it. May we never forget what we need, you and I need, is the reminder today is that Jesus sacrificed his life so that that life that we need to revive us could come. What our nation needs, what our world needs is not good preaching, good singing. It needs the understanding that Jesus came and sacrificed his life that we might live. J.I. Packer says this about revival. He says, revival means the work of God restoring to a dead church in a manner out of the ordinary, those standards of Christian life and experience which the New Testament sets forth as being entirely ordinary. And a right-minded concern for revival will express itself not in a hankering after tongues, but rather in a longing that the Spirit may shed God's love abroad in our hearts with grace greater power. Isn't that the real sign of revival? When you and I have the realization, I was once lost, I was once a sinner, but somehow in all of the people, in all of creation, God sent his love to rescue me, forgive me, wash my sins away. That is truly the movement of every great revival you read in scripture. In John chapter four, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, she had five husbands, she did all this sin, whatever it might have been, but God forgave her, set her free. She sent her, he sent her back home, and the Bible says that because of her testimony, that whole town believed it shows us that revival comes only from the life that Jesus gives. And that's what we need now more than ever before. I want to ask the musicians to come. I want to leave you with this in Ezekiel chapter 37. If you think back to we talked about Jesus and Barabbas. Give us, give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. All the... Oh, the terror of that moment. But how Jesus just took his place. How Jesus just stepped in on behalf of Barabbas. I wish we could know what happened to Barabbas' life. I don't even know that he realized what was happening for him. How Barabbas' life was being rescued because of the salvific work of Jesus upon a cross. But Ezekiel 37 shows us this once again. That here is Ezekiel, this great message of the prophet. The Bible says that the hand of the Lord was upon him and he brought him out into a valley. And here is Ezekiel. He knows the history of Israel. They've all fallen away from the Lord. They're, they're disobeying God's commandments. They're doing whatever they want. Sin is running rampant. And the Bible says that this valley the Lord brought him in. I never realized this until re recently as I went back and read this uh, again the Bible says in, in verse 2 of that chapter that he says that the Lord led him all around them. It was as if God was just walking him around the bones so that he could see their condition. 
And then the Bible says that Ezekiel took notice. He's walking around. He's walking around the bones. I mean, can you imagine how kind of a eerie moment that must have been? He sees all of these bones. And the Bible says that he took note that they were very dry and there was very many of them. And the Lord asked Ezekiel a question. He said, as he's walking around these bones, and he says, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, only you know, Lord. And so then he tells him, prophesy to these bones and say to them, old dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Ezekiel noted that these bones were lifeless and Ezekiel noted that they were void of purpose. And Ezekiel noted that it was only God's spirit coming in. As he later told him, prophesied to the wind, that revival for these bones that were laying in this valley wasn't because of Ezekiel's sermon. It wasn't because of some strategy he came up with. Revival only came to this valley of dry bones because of God. And it's a reminder to us this morning is as much in need of revival that we are is that revival is only a work of God. Only God can resuscitate somebody. Only God can bring somebody who is spiritually dead and bring them back to life again. Only through the work of Jesus Christ sacrificially upon a cross can God breathe life into a sinner that is wasted away in a life of sin and bring them into the new life that we so need to experience. Acts chapter 3 says it this way, repent and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't it wonderful to know that God promises revival as we repent? And I hope we'll always remember that today. If you don't remember anything else, remember this today. He said, God promises revival where there is repentance. God promises to send life where there are people who stand before the Lord. I am a broken spirit. I'm a mess and I can need your forgiveness. Will you stand with me this morning? Forgiveness is costly. Don't waste it. We need revival today. I don't know about you. I need revival. I need that fresh wind of God in my life moving among us. Our community needs it. Our world needs it. And I want to encourage you today. It starts right here with us today. When God's people, the Bible says, who are called by my name, will turn. We'll leave it behind. We'll leave that life behind and pursue a life of Christ. You close your eyes with me this morning. This morning, I want to encourage you today that we all go through repentance today. We realize our remorse. We realize we are guilty and we ask for God's forgiveness. It should be our heart continually before the Lord. And that type of sacrifice, the Bible says, God won't despise that. He takes delight in that. He takes delight when you and I come to him and put our full trust in him today. You need forgiveness this morning. I need forgiveness today. Would you just ask the Lord? Tell him in your own words this morning, Lord, I'm ashamed. I am guilty. I need your forgiveness. I messed up here. I messed up there. Oh, you know, the thing is, is that God can just forgive. He can just wipe it away. Oh, how we need forgiveness. And Lord, this morning we invite you today, God, 
is we need revival, Lord. And so, Father, we repent today. We pray that our sins would be washed white as snow, Lord, that we might experience the life of Jesus in us, Lord. And then the Bible says times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And Lord, isn't that what our world needs is a fresh outpouring of your spirit, times of renewal from being in your presence. And so Lord, today we repent, God. We say, Lord, we are sorry. We know we are guilty, Father. We deserve the punishment of sin, Lord. We know it and it's only through your sacrifice, God, that we can be forgiven, Lord. And we know today that it is your life resurrection life that it promises us tomorrow Lord that we don't have to live subject to the consequences of sin we've been set free from that through your resurrection so Lord today we repent and God we begin to pray this morning for revival Lord sin revival Lord as we repent Lord sin revival to our community Lord as we repent Lord sin revival to our families Lord as we repent Lord sin revival to our jobs Lord as we repent Lord sin revival to our church Lord to our city to our nation to our world Lord we want to experience people coming to you your love being poured into our hearts and encountering your love God we want that today father send revival we need you today Lord so come father come this morning as the choir sings today you need forgiveness today just call on the Lord oh the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness if we confess our sins to him let him know let's sing this morning.